My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the Lord be in my heart and on my lips, that I may worthily and fitly proclaim the gospel in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning, uh, I'm going to talk about suffering. Hooray! So the title of the sermon is uh, Reflections on Suffering, uh, primarily focusing from the reading that we heard from Hebrews chapter 2. And we have to remember too, right, when we talk about suffering, that we never limit it to the realm of the theoretical. But suffering is something experiential that elicits different reactions from, from all of us. And we all will go through it or have gone through it at some point in our lives. So we have to talk about this, I think, soberly um, and prayerfully. Recently, and I listened to a lot of podcasts. Well, not a lot. I've called most of them, actually. But I was listening to a long-form podcast, a multiple series, uh, one series over multiple figures. And one of them was about a, a Pentecostal minister in the healing revivals in the 1940s who eventually wound up uh, forming a cult that sort of just spontaneously sprung up around him, and he didn't do much to dissuade it. And... Um, his followers to this day would not call it a cult, but it actually is a cult. And what's fascinating about him and about humanity in general is that we are able to form movements around ourselves or charismatic people are able to form movements around themselves because they claim to have the ability to not only hear directly from God, but to also work miraculous healings. And this can be a potent draw because it offers people a shortcut or a way to bypass the potential suffering that comes with illness and the different situations in life in which we find ourselves. Add to that, there are stories of healing in the scriptures. Jesus healing people who are sick, lepers, people who were, were lame and deaf and mute and blind. And our Lord, is, he healed them and he, and he raised them. And some, in some instances, he raised people from the dead. So we have this in scripture. And then we have people who say that they can do that. And we have people who say God tells them directly that they have that gift. But few things cause people crises of all sorts more regularly than, than, than suffering. And there's different types of suffering. There's mental suffering, physical suffering, and, and spiritual suffering. And they're, they're linked together. So it becomes difficult to separate them or sometimes even to identify which one we may be experiencing at the time. But one of the easiest is, is physical suffering, obviously. And the problem of suffering has been a mainstay of anti-Christian polemics since, I, I don't know, the time just after the apostles, right? Like, suffering seems to be and can feel like a brutal capstone to a life not worth living, a monotonous and excruciating experience that only nihilism and despair can adequately address. But the Christian understanding of suffering is different because for us, suffering is something 
that even though God can and does allow us to experience, he redeems it through the suffering of his son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And oftentimes in the midst of it, we don't understand and we can't see through it. But often like Job, when we come out at the other side, we find the answer didn't matter anyway, as our vision of God has been enlarged and we've been awoken from our spiritual and occasionally our moral stupor. And I believe that all human suffering is linked with the suffering brought on by death. As death is not just the pinnacle of our individual suffering, but death also causes suffering all around us. Because as we suffer, our friends suffer with us sometimes. Our family at times suffers with us. And then if we know or have close relationships with somebody who's suffering, it causes suffering in us because if there's some, we, we wish that there was something that we could do to alleviate it. And oftentimes we can't. The only thing we can do is be there and to pray and to support and to love. But in Jesus Christ, we see something unique and hopeful, the redemption of all human suffering. Now we heard the story, the beginning of the story of Job read this morning in our Old Testament reading. And it opens with the acknowledgement that he feared the Lord. He followed the Lord. He served the Lord. He loved God and he walked in righteousness. And then out of the blue, Satan comes to God and challenges God. And he says, the only reason why Job loves you is because you have blessed him. The only reason why Job even follows you is because the good things you've done for him. The only reason why Job is even around at all, the only reason why he sacrifices to you is because you've protected him. You've protected him from, from the dangers of everything else around, right? If you took all of that away, that would change in a heartbeat. If you took your protection away from him, if, you, if he lost everything, he would drop you, God, like that. And in some ways, I think, brothers and sisters, that's sort of a question that we have to ask ourselves, or not a question that we have to ask ourselves, but something that might be in the back of our minds all the time. Why do we love God? Why do we serve the Lord? Do we serve him for who he is? Or do we serve him and love him and follow him and worship him because of what we think we can get from him? And if you were to turn on your television, that would be the primary way that they would appeal to you. If you follow Jesus, your life will be better. If you follow Jesus, your relationships will improve. Your health will improve. You'll lose 20 pounds. Everyone will like you. When you go to the airport on a trip, you know, if you serve the Lord, they'll upgrade you to first class without you even asking for it. But <laughs> Satan says, let me stop before I get in trouble. Satan says to God, if you took all of the good stuff away from Job, he would spit in your face. So God allows Satan to afflict Job, but is forbidden to kill him. And Satan goes to town on Job. We know the story. Job loses everything. 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 And Satan finally causes him to suffer by afflicting him with a painful illness. Meanwhile, in the middle of all this, Job, the scripture tells us, does not sin with his mouth. Even when his own wife tells you, curse God and die.
But Job doesn't do that. He hangs on. And after being afflicted with loss and disease for what looks like to be no reason at all, he still will not blame God or attack God. And what we find in the book of Job is this ongoing conversation between Job and his friends who come to visit him. And they come to try to be comforting to him. But then what they do is they all try to tell him the reason why. You're a bad person, Job. That's why this happened to you. But Job says, no, I've been good. And each friend says, or, or goes through this whole litany of things that Job has done wrong that causes him to deserve what he's suffering. But the point is that Job hasn't done anything deserving of the level of suffering he's receiving. But he still stays faithful to God in the middle of all that. And then that made me think a little bit about Jesus, Job's response to suffering, his endurance of suffering. That then leads to this vision of God that he receives at the end of the story. And in the book of Hebrews, it talks about Jesus in 2 verse 9. I'm just going to reread a couple of verses. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So we're going to focus for the next few moments on Jesus being crowned in glory. And then we're going to talk about verse, what it says in verse 10, which we'll read in a minute, about becoming perfect through suffering. So right now in our Wednesday night Bible study, plug, we're getting into the passion narrative of St. Mark's gospel, right? So the death of Jesus has been looming in the narrative, and he often refers to it to his disciples, and they keep missing the point, right, because of their misunderstandings. And he keeps saying, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to the cross. The priests and the Romans, they're going to they're, they're band together, they're going to form an alliance, they're going to kill me, but I'm going to rise again. And we've talked about how... Um, the, 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 the disciples have been blind to everything he's been doing and how their expectations about what the Messiah is supposed to do, how Jesus doesn't quite live up to those expectations. But Jesus is single-minded in his journey to Jerusalem because but what's waiting for him there in Jerusalem? The cross. The cross, his suffering and his death. The implement of his torture. And in the face of that suffering, he still goes and voluntarily offers himself as both a sacrifice and the one who offers the sacrifice. Another portion in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says that who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Joy was on the other side, but to get to the joy, he had to first go through the suffering. And a big problem with much of the American church today is we want the joy. We're not willing to faithfully endure the suffering that it sometimes takes to get there. The joy that might not even be something we get to experience now, but only when we meet our Lord. The author of Hebrews also says that Jesus here is crowned with glory and honor because of that suffering that he endured. 
And then it says that he was made lower than the angels. And this is a reference, brothers and sisters, to his incarnation, his taking on human nature. In other words, his becoming lower than the angels is sharing in our humanity. And what's the one thing that all of us have in common? All of us, every single one of us, we have one thing in common. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're born. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter if you're the origins of your, of your ancestry was in Norway or Denmark or Africa or China or, or Russia or wherever. Antarctica, who knows? The one thing we all have in common is that we will all experience death. That we are all corrupted by sin and death. That we are spiritually dead and that we, our physical bodies, are subject to mortality. So in taking on mortality by assuming a human nature, Jesus tastes or experiences death for us. It says he does this for everyone. So there's no human person who can say Jesus didn't taste death for me. He does. And he gives up his own spirit when he deems it right, but he does not forego his own suffering resulting in death. And it is that moment where he is crowned in glory. Right? A friend of mine is an Orthodox priest, and I've been blessed to be able to, to visit some of his services. And there's this one phrase that I heard repeated, and I wish I could remember what service it is. But it says, through the cross, joy has come into the world. And this crowning with glory and honor is is his resurrection from death and his being given the name above all names and ruling over all things, ascending to the right hand of the Father. And then it says in verse 10, it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So Jesus here is the founder of our salvation or the pioneer of our suffering. In, in, in Greek, it's, it's the one who sort of blazes the trail. He forges the path we all tread. He blazed the trail we all follow. He, he humbled himself so we can share in his exaltation. He is the cause of our salvation, as St. John Chrysostom noted. St. John also calls Jesus, he says, he is like some noble wrestler who, so, who surpasses the rest, right? He's like the, the, he's like the Michael Jordan of everything because Michael Jordan, for some reason, everyone compares football, hockey, whatever. You're the Michael Jordan of this sport, right? Jesus is the, the, the Michael Jordan of everything, right? It's a stupid example. Maybe I'll cut that out. Um, Perfection here, though, doesn't mean that Jesus lacked anything. It says he was made perfect through suffering. So when we hear that, we think, well, Jesus lacked something. So he had to go through this because he needed what he lacked made up for. But that's not what being perfected means. It means completion, right? That his experience of suffering death completed what was necessary for our salvation. It's an excellent commentator named Ben Witherington. He said, Jesus becomes perfectly equipped and completely fit for a whole series of tasks, including being the believer's heavenly high priest, right? So Jesus is then completed through his own suffering. 
He's equipped, I guess we should say, to bring then many of us, sons and daughters to glory. Because it only says sons, but it means all of us, right? Sons and daughters to glory. So Jesus' suffering gives them a shape and an outline to our own. So then we ask ourselves, well, what about us? Right? So if Jesus' suffering and death was something that he underwent as an act that shows his perfect, his perfection, his, his being equipped to be our high priest, and that his suffering ends in his resurrection, then that means the same is true for us. Our suffering can become redeemed if we see that suffering in a cruciform context. If we place, if we take our suffering with his suffering then it gives meaning to our own when the meaning and reasons may even be beyond our sight. And oftentimes we don't know what to do with our suffering because many, many of us have imbibed a gospel that says God will get you out of everything that you have to suffer if you just have enough faith or you believe hard enough or as a TV preacher will tell you with a big smile if you just say the right things, God will get you out of it. That's destructive, brothers and sisters, because it doesn't deal adequately with the reality of life. And so, but we have this thing inside of us, right, that our suffering is, 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 is kind of wrong and it's unjust. And I think in many ways our suffering is unjust because it points to a reality greater than us that we are not made for suffering. We are made in the image of God for union with God. And because of our sin, because of our rebellion, and because of our death, we've severed ourselves from the source of all life, right? That's what's going on in the garden story, is that humanity severs themselves from the source from which all life flows to turn aside to their own ways, their own means. And that introduces suffering and death into the world. And so when we undergo it, we pray and sometimes we say, God, take this away from me. Take this away from me. Take this away from me. Why do I have to do this? And it makes me think of St. Paul who said, you know, he was given the thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan sent to assault him. He says, I prayed to the Lord three times that this would be taken away from me. And some people try to explain this away as, oh, these are just people coming against him. But, but he gives hints throughout scripture that he's suffering from some type of physical ailment. And he says, God, take this away from me. He prays three times. And if you think anybody would have their prayers answered, it would be St. Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament. We have his epistles before the first gospel is even written. We have, not all of them, we have some of his epistles before, before uh, the gospel of Mark is even written, which is generally thought to be the first gospel. And Peter is, Paul, say Paul, he's, you know, one day he's building a, he's been shipwrecked. He swims to this island. He gets bitten by a venomous snake. He throws it into the fire and he's fine. So you would think anybody who, who would pray to God and say, take this away from me. And God would say, yep, I'll take that away from you. It would be him. He was preaching at a, at a service. He went really, really, really long. And some of you are thinking, just like you are right now. Well, thank God you're not sitting on a balcony. And there's a kid who's sitting on the balcony. He falls off the balcony. He hits his head and he dies. And right in the middle of the service. And St. Paul doesn't miss a beat. He just goes, he prays for him, and he raises him from the dead. And St. Paul says, take this away from me. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. We don't want grace to be sufficient for us. We want grace to take it away. We don't want grace to help us learn how to deal with it. And then how we can take our suffering and then put it. I wish we had the cross up, but it's not Good Friday yet, right? 
Well, there's a cross right there, right? Like, if we can take our suffering and put it right there on the implement of Christ's suffering, it helps us then not to seek necessarily the end of our suffering, but it helps us to place our suffering with his. And if we can place our suffering with his, then it means it helps us to bear our own. In the hope that as we love him and follow him and serve him and worship him, that just as he was resurrected from death, just as Job saw God in the whirlwind, that when we make it through, even if it's at the end of our life, that joy will come in the morning. And Jesus doesn't get out of suffering. And he doesn't offer us any shortcuts. I wish he did, because life would be easier. But what he does do is that he draws in our own suffering with his. And through his grace, even if we don't experience relief from that suffering right here and right now, we will become perfected. We will become complete in the age to come in heaven and when heaven comes to earth. St. Simeon, the new theologian, said, So now we come from the world and enter through the sufferings of the Lord into a repentance and humiliation of burial like his, who himself came down from heaven and took on our body as a tomb and united with our souls. He raises them from the dead. Then he permits those who are raised with Christ to see the glory of his mystical resurrection. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father, who is from everlasting, and is all holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have a few minutes, I'd ask you to go to gofundme.com slash Zion's Stone Church Repair Fund. We have some significant repair work that we need to do on our bell tower, as well as some repair work due to a recent lightning strike. Anything you'd be able to help us out with, we would greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to get a hold of me or you have any questions about what you've heard, feel free to reach out at our Facebook page, Zion Stone UCC, or you can check us out on our website, ZionStoneUCC.com. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.